you know, when we first brought the archives to Mammoth, we didn't envision that that was going to happen. It wasn't even a thought in our minds. But as we sort of established ourselves as really an official archive of, of Springsteen material, um, we just felt it was time to ask the question. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today is an incredibly special guest, the keeper of all things Springsteen, all the way from New Jersey. Elaine Chapman is joining me. Elaine, welcome so much to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, so for Tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am uh, the director of the Bruce Springsteen Archives and Center for American Music, which is located on the campus of Monmouth University. I live in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which um, many of you Springsteen fans might be aware of. Um, I'm also on the city council here in Asbury Park. Um, so the Bruce Springsteen Archives uh, came to the campus of Monmouth University in 2011. It started off as a fan-based collection. That was the brainchild of Chris Phillips and some of the folks at Backstreets as they were doing some research and realized that materials were um, hard to find and getting expensive when you could find them. Uh, Chris took that opportunity to reach out to fans around the world and say, send us your stuff and we'll find a place for it. And they did, and they opened in the Asbury Park Library in 2001. Um, it was an archives that consisted of, I think, 700 pieces at the time. I was managing the Stone Pony at the time and went to the opening. It was amazing and, and just, um, you know, just made so much sense to begin this archive, you know, at that point in Bruce's career, as you know, as you know, you know, as artists tour, more and more items get donated and accumulated. And so um, that collection continued to grow until it surpassed the confines of the library space. And so I had reached out to them. I was employed at Monmouth working as the associate director of the Center for the Arts and had reached out to the caretakers, uh, including a group called the Friends of the Bruce Springsteen Collection who were maintaining the collection. Uh, throughout the process and keeping the website and asked them if they would consider bringing the collection to Monmouth. Um, and, you know, we spoke back and forth for a little bit and uh, the collection came to us in 2011. Uh, parts of it were then in the library, parts of it were in people's homes because, as I said, the space had been maxed out at that point. Sure. And then in 2017, Bruce announced that we would be his official repository as well. And so, um, as you can tell, it kind of took off from there. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I, I are, were you a fan of Bruce's music to begin with? Absolutely. 
Okay. Because, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a fan to kind of do this kind of gig, right? Because, um, in fact, a lot of ways, I would think you have to split your fandom from your business academic hat, correct? Absolutely. But, you know, when it does come in handy, you know, we get a lot of researchers in, folks that are writing yeah. books, doing documentaries, a thesis, you name it, they're in and out. So it's good that I have that background, that I'm able to, you know, be able to go back in time. I've lived in Asbury Park since 1974. Okay. So I've been around the music scene and I also have connections with, you know, other folks in the Springsteen world that I can make connections um, with, with researchers. So uh, for instance, we had a, um, a documentary crew that came in from France and I brought them up to Tinker West's um, party for his Halloween, um, his St. Patrick's parade. And so okay. they got to interview Tinker and some other people who were associated. I think he was there and Vinny Lopez was there. Um, so making those connections, um, we had another woman uh, who was in from Japan and she was doing a, thesis on um, blue collar working musicians in the 70s. And so I hooked her up with Vinnie Lopez for an in-person interview. I took someone else to the um, closing of the upstage. And so, you know, being able to make these connections, it has been important to us and also to the, to the people who come to us for research materials. Yeah. Um... That's so great. And, you know, I've, I was lucky enough um, a few years ago in, in 2012, I tell this story all the time. My wife and I had not gone on a vacation together in like years. You know, we've always with another couple or with the kid. And so we decided we just wanted to go somewhere for us too. And Bruce was touring, but he wasn't coming anywhere close to Dallas. So we ended up driving. Uh, from Dallas all the way to Cleveland. We stopped and did the Louisville, Kentucky bourbon trail. Uh, then, you know, did watched Bruce in Cleveland, did the rock and roll hall of fame, came back, finished the bourbon trail and came home. It was our bourbon and Bruce tour. We called it. Nice. Um, but your center is a little bit more than just the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, this is actually used, as you talked about, for research and academics, isn't it? It is, very much so. And, I mean, we, we have exhibits as well. Right. In the building we're in now, we don't have a lot of exhibit space. Mm -hmm. You know, we're um, hoping and thinking that's going to change at some point, uh, which is why we do these traveling exhibits and these pop-up exhibits and these collaborative yeah. exhibits with, with other um, entities. You know, we've mm -hmm. got some pieces in the um, Grand Old Opry, the Ryman at the Grand Old Opry. They've got an exhibit on rock at the Ryman. And so we've got Bruce's Tom Joe jacket, hat and lyrics there. Um, Grammy Museum Mississippi has a... Um, MTV at 40, I want my MTV. So we've got some lyrics and some clothing and a guitar there um, at the exhibit. So we recently did an exhibit in Freehold, New Jersey, which is Bruce's hometown. Sure. Entitled his hometown. And uh, so that was a huge exhibit that was up for a couple of years. Um, we did um, the Vietnam Vets Memorial. We did an exhibit there. Um, and I mentioned we also 
had some items in the Songs of Conscious Sounds of Freedom yeah. exhibit that was at the Woody Guthrie and is now, I believe, still at the Grammy Museum LA. And we just put a couple items into an exhibit at the Morgan Library and Museum in New York. There's a Woody Guthrie exhibit there. And we've got uh, one of Bruce's guitars and one of his actual lyric books uh, in that in that exhibit as well. That must be at times um, a challenge to, I'm sure you get asked a lot, you know, that, that you get a lot of, you know, people reaching out looking for, you know, a material to exhibit or to help. Um, I, I can only imagine and maybe tell a little bit, how do you balance? Like you, you want to say yes to everyone, but you need to try to figure out, you know, what's the best way to use, um, to, to produce, you know, to help let people see these things to help, you know, teach about Bruce, but at the same time, kind of control it to a certain degree. Yeah, not only do you have to, you know, think about the, the story and the concept yeah. and the theme, but also are the conditions suitable for, for housing archival items? So there's got to be humidity and temperature controls. There's got to be a locked environment. There's got to be security in place. So it kind of limits us um, just because of, of those factors mm-hmm. to actual museums and, and locations where all of this is taken into consideration. We These are archives. We need to make sure our first order of business to make sure they're preserved forever. Yeah. Um, do And we're going to get to um, the reason why you're on. And first off, as I say, you and I have exchanged emails a couple of times. I've been mean to have you on, but um, something recently happened that, you know, kind of made me jump to the front of the line. If you could, were, were you invo- were you involved when you were already working on it when Bruce decided to give you guys make it official, correct? Yes, we already had the archives on the campus of Monmouth University at that point. I, I, so I'm going to ask you to put your fan hat back on. I mean, did you just squeal a little bit and like, I can't pinch yourself when that happened? Yes. So, you know, when we first brought the archives to Monmouth, we didn't envision that that was going to happen. It wasn't even a thought in our minds. But as we sort of established ourselves as really an official archive of, of Springsteen material, yeah, um, we just felt it was time to ask the question. Yeah. And not knowing, you know, we figured, what have, what have we got to lose? Right. And so, um, you know, John Landau and Barbara Carr, who we spoke to first, loved the idea, uh, brought it to Bruce. Um, Bruce came, got on his motorcycle. John and Barbara got in their cars. They all came over to see, you know, what the archives was all about, what this looked like. Um, Bruce also got to see that right next door to the archives is our music and theater department. And so it was, you know, you've got kids coming and going. You could hear people, you know, some students practicing a piano and others on a guitar. And it was very lively. And I think the whole educational component was important to Bruce. The fact that, you know, this could be an educational resource. You know, our our classes use this as a resource. Right. Um, And so... I think that was very important. I think that helped to tilt the scales in our direction. And so thrilled, I, uh, thrilled beyond 
imagination. And then Bruce came to Monmouth and we mm-hmm. did a um, uh, sort of like a Q&A where he announced that we would be his, be his repository. But then Bob Santelli uh, also did, you know, an evening with, got to ask a lot of questions. Students got to participate, ask some yeah. questions as well. And I think that, you know, that's what this is all about. You know, I, I don't want to, and, and if someone's if someone's listening to this, they're going to get my connection of someone who doesn't normally listen to a my fan podcast. But this is similar to like a presidential library. I mean, this is not only for exhibits and not only so that the public can see this, but, you know, just like on a an iceberg, a lot of it underneath you don't see is all the things underneath, as you've talked about, just the research, making sure that this is archived for future generations uh, so that when a hundred years from now, someone is like, well, hey, you know, we, we, how did this music from this artist was affected by these different administrations, you know, and if I wanted to do a political story, because I've, I've had actually professors from Monmouth talk about they'll use Bruce's music to talk about the Vietnam War or mm-hmm. the the second Bush administration. So I, I'm fascinated as a fan that it's cool. We got all these neat things we can see, but also as someone who is trying to do my own part of catch of capturing what Bruce meant to this generation to have that ability there where researchers have it. Yeah, and you know, you talk about a generation, but you know, we also get fans into the archives. So we'll have fathers that'll bring their sons because they want the son to see what he experienced. Yeah. Um, so it, although it's an archive for researchers, it's also open and available for fans by appointment as well. So I think it, it's, you know, it's really being accessed by many generations for many different reasons. And also the students on campus. You know, I've got seven students who work with me mm-hmm. at the archives. One who came to Monmouth because the archives were there. And they are just, they've been there since freshmen. A lot of them are in their senior years now, uh, but they've been amazing. And, and I, they're such a resource but they, you know, some of them are taking public history classes and archiving, and some of them have really sort of changed their direction of their career paths because of the time spent there. Changing the subject just for a moment, do you miss working at the Stone Pony and with live music all the time? Well, I go out often to see live music, okay. but the hours are so much better. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting home at four o'clock in the morning. So that's yes. always a good thing. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. I, I went um, in between uh, my day gigs. I, sur- I worked for like three or four months at a bar and it was I was amazed because that was a whole different world for me. I had been, you know, an eight to five guy. And all of a sudden you're going to work at nine, 10 o'clock at night and you're getting off at two or three in the morning and everyone's like, okay, are we going to breakfast? I'm like, no, I'm going to bed, you know, because I wasn't <laughs> used to it. So that's great. Uh, well, wonderful. All right. I was thrilled to see this. I, I live in Dallas, Texas. Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma is only four or five hours away, depending on traffic. And the Woody Guthrie Center, it, it, what's what's really weird, t- 
timing is one of my best friends is a huge Bob Dylan fan. And he talked about that Dylan had just announced a new tour and he was, was going to play in Tulsa uh, because there's a Dylan exhibit there. And I'm like, you know, why is there a Dylan exhibit there? And he says, well, he said one, because the millionaire who donated it lived in Tulsa. Right. This and also there's a Woody Guthrie center there. So he says, it makes a little connection. I, oh, okay. That makes sense. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, I get the Bruce Springsteen live is going to be at the Woody Guthrie center. Tell me how this happened. Well, you know, when we, uh, curated this exhibit, we did so in partnership with the Grammy Museum in LA. And they also work closely with the Woody Guthrie Center. So this was always meant to be a traveling exhibit, um, though we planned this and curated this before the pandemic. So we had anticipated about six stops in the United States and then a few in Europe. Well, as you know, museums close their doors for, uh, you know, a couple of years, some of them. Pesky COVID thing, yes. yes. (laughs) And so things really backed up. Um, We opened uh, October 1st at the Grammy Museum at the Prudential Center in Newark. um, And then always had, actually it was supposed to open the Grammy Museum LA initially and then go to the Woody Guthrie Center and then Newark. But again, you know, pandemic shifted everything around. So these are all museums that work closely together. Everyone has close relationships. And so the Grammy Museum actually... Uh, was the resource to go out and, and find other museums where this would, uh, would travel to. And so it's coming to Tulsa, which I love Tulsa, by the way. Yeah, uh, I love because it's so close. And, and I, um, you know, we, my wife loves um, camping in Oklahoma City. She'll often go on girls trip and they'll they'll bike rides and camping there. So excited. Yeah. So it's it's Bruce Springsteen Live at the Woody Guthrie Center. It is uh opening on April 16th and it's running through September 25th. Um which is a pretty decent run. There should be a lot of chances for people to go. Um, why don't you give us a couple of highlights of what people are going to see when they go? Yeah, so this is this exhibit, Bruce Springsteen Live. It is an intimate look at the creative process of Bruce and the E Street Band doing a live concert. Ooh, nice! And so initially, when we when we talked about curating this exhibit, we we spoke about doing iconic shows. Um, but a, as we started to look at the material. And, and the amount of shows, it was, it was sort of hard to break that down. So then my thought was, let's do this by the decades. Let's take Bruce from the time he signed to the current day and be able to show um, through many different ways. It's a multimedia exhibit, um, what the concert experience is like and what goes on behind the scenes. And so we have cases from each decade, um, and in those cases are materials like guitars, stage clothing, uh, concert memorabilia, um, and instruments from each of the East Street Band members, clothing from each of these East Street Band members. And so we take Bruce through the time that he did the Harvard Square Theater show uh, in Boston, where John Landau reviewed the show with the famous quote about the future of rock and roll. 
And that's where this exhibit begins. So it begins with, with that. And we have an interactive that has um, an interview with John Landau to talk about that show, um, an interview with Barry Schneier who photographed that show, and then an interview with some members of the E Street Band to talk about that show. Um, and then we move on to the 70s case, which is kind of fun. It's got Bruce's um, very famous Fender guitar, um, some you know clothing, all kinds of fun stuff in there. And then we go on to, uh, there's a small theater that's got some live concert footage. There's also an interactive that shows you a tour itinerary. So when each of the band members go out, they and their family members are given an itinerary of what the tour looks like, where they're gonna be at every given time, hotels, venues, travel. And so there's an interactive that kind of flips through one of those itineraries uh, that belong to one of the band members. Uh, we go on to the 80s, of course, you know, that iconic uh, Born in the USA tour. And, you know, you see how much more material there is and how these concert experiencing cases begin to grow with more and more memorabilia because, of course, the shows get bigger and they're in bigger venues. And um, sure. so we've got that for each case right up to the Broadway show. But then mm. we've got interactives that uh, we did a Springsteen Family Tree interactive uh, where we did interviews um, with some of the band members, but we have bios from everyone who played with Bruce on tour. And I think there's like 48 or 49 of them, photos and bios for all of them. Mm. We picked 10 iconic shows, which was really hard to do because um, I picked 50 initially. <laughs> And I was told, no, 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 we can't fit all them in an interactive. And so I went down to like 32 and they're like, no, 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 it's gotta be 10. And so I lost sleep for about six months trying to pare down that 32 to 10, but we interviewed members of the band from each of those tours. Um, and that was, that was a fun thing to do. I bet that was. That was, that was fun. That was stressful, but that was fun. We've got Clarence's saxophone um, and his and his road case with all the stickers on it. Danny Federici's um, organ. Uh, we've got um, the Calliope. So on the Magic Tour, they had a Calliope on stage that opened the show, played the Daring Young Man on the Flying Trapeze. Right. So we've got that. We've got interviews with Bruce, some of the members of the E Street Band, uh, Barbara Carr, John Landau, to talk about what happens on the day of a show, how do you prepare for your day? What happens from the time you wake up to the time the band is on stage? And so there's interviews that you get to listen to through an interactive as well. Um, some of them have some live footage. Uh, some of them just have images. Um, we've got an interview with Bruce, of course. And then we've got this awesome encore interactive. And so I went through Bruce's handwritten set lists okay. and pulled out 25 set lists. So there's like five from each decade. Okay. And then we pulled the encores out of that and we put the set lists into the interactive and we have a list of songs and you need to create the encore for that show. So you need to drag these songs over. You create your own encore and then you get to compare it to Bruce's at the end of that. And Bruce talks a little bit at the beginning about how he creates his encore. Uh, he talks about, you know, what keys lead into what keys and how one song follows another. So there's a little more of an interview process there. 
Um, of course, we've got a photography gallery wall. Um, and I think that might be pretty much it. That's enough. That's pretty cool. And this is only half the exhibit. So when we curated this exhibit, we curated an exhibit for 4,000 square feet. The Prudential Center and the Woody Guthrie Center are both only 2,000 square feet. So wow. it's only half the exhibit. It will be the same exhibit at the Woody Guthrie Center. And then when it goes to LA, we'll add all the rest of the materials we won't be able to fit in. And it will be 4,000 feet. I forgot to tell you that we also have some of Bruce's mom's scrapbooks. Oh, how fun. Which are really a lot of fun. She kept, um, we have about eight of them in the archives where Adele collected pretty much everything, every newspaper clipping, correspondence uh, from the time Bruce was signed. Yeah. Um, so I'm already looking to see like when I want to go. And uh, Lucinda Williams is playing in Tulsa on April 23rd. And I'm like, wait, the show's up. That would be a fun show to go to. Uh, so uh, it's it's going to be great. I, I think no matter when you go, it's going to be a pretty special day. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so um, to get their um, tickets, I'll have it in the link. But if you go to um, Woody Guthrie Center, um, it appears that it, if you just a general admission ticket gets you into the Woody, Woody Guthrie exhibit, which is a permanent uh, exhibit, and then this extra Springsteen Live. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a great road trip for anyone who's uh, wanting to see a little bit of the Midwest. Um, I'm hoping to work out a couple of um, group outings. I've got like five, at least seven or eight people that live in Dallas that have been on the podcast that are all Springsteen fans. I'm trying to figure out, oh, hey, let's do a road trip. And then I'm hoping that some of our spring nuts uh, mm -hmm. from the East Coast are around like coordinate where a bunch of them go at the same time. And I'm hoping to go up there and kind of see them and maybe do a live episode, you know, we find a corner and get my little recorder out and kind of talk about impressions and everything. So I'm hoping to do that. Yeah, we had some of the spring nuts here at our exhibit at uh, the Grammy Museum Experience in Newark as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, so absolutely uh, go to the Woody Guthrie Center, get tickets. Um, I Based on this, it sounds like it's going to be a great experience, a really wonderful, and I'm so thrilled um, as a Texas guy, it feels like sometimes everything happens on either of the coasts, right? right. Like, like there's all these cool things that happen in Jersey and, you know, we're having all the benefits or on the West coast and to have something within driving distance of the Midwest. I'm just thrilled. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. You know, you've, we've got some of the East street band members that are sort of probably closer to you. I think Nils is closer yeah. to you and, and Gary talent. Um, yeah. You know, they would like to see it too. They didn't make it this way to the yeah, East coast. That's, that's great. Um, any final thoughts or anything else you'd like us to share it as a fan, is there something we can do to help with this archiving this and keeping things and trying to help this academic center away? Is there something we can do? Yeah, so, you know, we're always looking for materials that we don't have in the archives. And we have a list, uh, a wish list on our website, springsteenarchives.org. 
Um, you know, and especially in putting together exhibits like this, you know, you need um, tickets and backstage passes and playbills and posters and, you know, just all that fill-in material for each of those exhibits. Um, plus any, you know, I can't tell you how many people come to read our academic papers. So, yeah. you know, there's, it's, there's just so much there and every piece of it is important. It's the educational component. It's the visual component. You know, it, it's just really important to us to keep it relevant, to keep it updated and keep it accessible, keep it preserved. That's what well, we're there for. So, Elaine, I thank you. This you you set up. You you met with me at very short notice. Um, it sounds like you will never have a free moment, but if you do, I would love to have you on for a regular episode, and we just go through your springdom fandom. I, yeah. I just think that would be a blast to talk to you about that. Um, if someone wants to reach you about the uh, archive or any other questions, what's the best way to reach you? Sure. My email is echapman, E-C-H-A-P-M-A-N at springsteenarchives.org. Which is a pretty cool email. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure uh, the young Elaine's like, yes, <laughs> this is a cool job. It is. And you know what? One of the important things I have female students yeah. who want to get into the music industry business yeah. and the fact that, you know, someone like Barbara Carr, who's been in this business forever, was willing to do an interview was important to those girls. They needed to see that this is a possibility. I, I absolutely agree. I know um, one of my um, one of the other people that I admire a whole lot is um, Penn, Penn and Pendulette, Penn and Teller. And they yeah. talk a lot about seeing um, women or non-gender, uh, you know, specific right. being involved in magic makes them happy, brings them great joy. So yeah, I'm sure that's got to be the same thing. All right. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you the Mary question. Okay. So if you are listening to this and you have not normally listened to a Set Lessing Bruce podcast, Thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate it. Go check some others episodes. We have had some fun uh, talks, but I end every episode with uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher recently retired uh, in the Philadelphia area, and he would take two days breaking apart Thunder Road. They would look at the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery Bruce uses in Thunder Road, the themes of the song, and at the compare it to Robert Frost. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So Elaine, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Of course she does. Of course she does. And she's been along for the ride the whole time because Mary is not just Mary. She's Kitty and she's Candy and she's Rosalita. And she is every woman in Bruce's life, including me. We're all Mary. We're all Mary. And we've all been along for the ride. I love that answer. I love that answer so much. All right. Bruce Springsteen live Tulsa, Oklahoma, April through September. I will have all the details in the show note. Thank you so much, um, Elaine. You listeners, you stay safe, go get vaccinated, go get boosted. Remember to be kind to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through everything that's going on. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks, Jesse. 
Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlessingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store, where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Merry Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page, where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.